step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome to the Hospitality Digital Marketing Podcast, presented by HSMAI, the Hospitality Sales and Marketing Association International, and its Digital Marketing Council. And now, your host, Lauren Gray. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Hospitality Digital Marketing episode podcast episode 112 in recap of the Blab Live video show number 49, of which I think we're, and I'm your host, Lauren Gray, by the way, <laughs> and thank you for joining us again this week. This should be airing on Friday, July 15th. Shortly just after we had a very fun blabcast this morning, and for those who don't know what I'm referring to, we do a weekly edition, a live video one that you can participate. You can jump join or ask us questions or join us video-wise on a platform called Blab. Uh, and it's called This Week in Hospitality Digital Marketing. It's every Friday at 10.30 a.m. Central, 11.30 Eastern. Uh, we get a global audience, which is why we're actually going to be branching out and having two more additional shows coming up um, for... Uh, the APAC region, for the Asian Pacific region, and for the uh, European region as well. We'll have multilingual uh, participants uh, who will be able to cover Mandarin and Japanese for the APAC, and French, Italian, and Spanish for the European. So look forward to having that uh, coming soon. We'll make that announcement as time gets more precise as to when we're launching that in August. But up until then, let's talk about what's going on for this week. We try to keep our podcast to 20 to 30 minutes max, and we had quite a lot of content in the Blab uh, live show this week. We were joined by uh, Amy Cheek, uh, who is with the HSMAI's Digital Marketing Council, and uh, she was an excellent contributor to the Pokemon conversation, which we'll get to. We also had Sean Williams with Spring Engage, a uh, co-host of ours, and also Edward St. Ange from uh, Flip2, Flip.to. And ironically, Spring Engage and Flip2 are both excellent platforms to build your customer relationships with. Uh, and we actually spent some time with Sean at, towards the end of the session in our techniques category, talking about case studies of success of using that interactive and data use that Spring Engage brings to a, a website for a hotel if you have the ability to control a standalone website. Brands, of course, don't often have that chance, but for if you do, they're an excellent platform to consider. But we'll get to that point first, and let me slide over to my content list. We try to keep our categories divided into three topics or kind of categorizations. The first is tools, things that are coming to market that will be helpful and useful potentially uh, to you as a hospitality uh, industry professional. Uh, the second is news, but not in the announcement sort of way, but in the interpretive or value proposition way. We get to dialogue a little bit about the impact of some of these things. And that's where the Pokemon conversation this week dropped in because of its, um, um, its popping emergence onto the market all of a sudden. Boom, there it was. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that. We also will, um, we have a category called techniques which will feature uh, talking a little bit about what uh, Sean Williams had mentioned about what Spring Engage does and its value proposition, not as a sales pitch or anything like that, but as an awareness. Uh, you, it may be functionally usable for you, scalable for you, and it may not be. But at least knowing that those types of products and more particularly that product is in market 
might be something that's useful for you. But first, let's talk about tools, things that we covered in the conversation. Uh, one I brought to the attention was, and this will be in the show notes uh, that you can find at hospitalitydigitalmarketing.com forward slash podcast. And that is uh, Google has uh, not recently, but reminded everyone that there is a place that you can go to called myactivity.google.com. Now, why is this important? Why is this a tool? Well, it gives you the chance to see what Google knows about you. And if you haven't done this for yourself already, it's actually quite a scary proposition because Google knows a lot about you, especially if you use its Gmail functions. And of course, if you have a G plus account and if you have any engagement with YouTube and so forth and so on, or use Google Chrome, all of your history. Now, that's not uncommon to think that even Google Safari or Microsoft uh, Explorer, not called Explorer anymore, um, and Firefox all track what you have historically so you can go back and look at it. But it really gets a little spooky in knowing a lot more than just your browser history. It goes through and, and keeps track of also, if you have an Android phone, your location history, where you posted pictures, what your engagement were on certain platforms. Uh, so if you would like to see what Google knows about you, now the reason why they make this available is uh, so that if you want to modify what is being used to identify you, whether it be ad placements that Google uses and so forth, or when you use its SERP pages, search engine results pages, uh, or Google Chrome, or even Gmail, those ads that perennially show up, you can control it by limiting things that you want to be known. Um, all said in the same, I think the point that Edward St. Ange made from uh, Flip2, which was exceptionally good, was the... Um, uncomfortable part of it is is this what the semi-laxness it feels that google is giving the prioritization of the security of this data that you can see this so readily means that also somebody could access your account and get to know a lot more about you than you probably would want to if they were able to hack into your account and there's no way there's no two-step process there's nothing about it to get into this section of information uh, obviously and we've recommended this on the podcast and on the live live before if you haven't already set up a two-stage authentication process for any platforms that you're using that do make that available it's almost a must well and it's not almost a must it is a must uh, and if you're not familiar with two-stage authentication you should become familiar with it um, you should use it for all of your social presence platforms, the Facebooks and, and the Twitters of the world, um, because if somebody can figure out your access to your accounts, and we know that it is entirely possible for people to do this because we unfortunately are lazy on our password usages, then they get control of those platforms. They become you. And unless you create a two-stage authentication, which requires a code that you share from a designated platform, such as your phone, your iPad, uh, or even a friend's phone if you lose your own or an Android phone or whatever, at least it is a slowing down thing that can be done for the average hacker that they can't quite get past that threshold. And unfortunately, there are much smarter hackers than that that can get past that as well. But at least it narrows down. You really have to be interesting enough for them to go through that additional effort to get to it. So if you haven't used the two-step authentication, please look into it for Google, for Facebook, for any platform that allows you, Twitter, uh, that allows, LinkedIn, that allows you those authentications. You should definitely do that. And especially if it handles any currency financial transactions two-step authentication is a mandatory must for that all right enough preaching on to that part that was one of the tools that we referred to uh one of the other tools that we referred to was uh something that google just rolled out it's not new but it's new in concept and that is google's travel playbook now as we discussed uh and edward point uh, asked me a very candid question what does this mean to me um 
Google Travel Playbook, and we're going to share in the show notes the article not only from T News, but the SlideShare deck that uh, Google put out uh, as to what the travel playbook means. It's a continuation of the conversation of micro moments. Um, and for anybody that's not familiar with that, Google is really presenting the fact that with the high usage of mobile now being literally the internet, the most functional use of the internet is in mobile platforms for us. Um, it's all about the moment. Uh, I need this now. I need to go here now. I want to stay here now. I want to buy this now. And being in that point of conversion, the ZMOD, uh, the zero moment of transaction, transition, is the most critical aspect about it. You can fight and banter about where you are in the funnel of discovery and where you are in the point of decision making, but it really comes down to when does the conversion of cash come through? And Google's travel playbook is lending itself. Now, my point I made about this, and I'll reiterate it here, is Google tends to give you indications as to the direction it's traveling before it gets to where you want they want, want you to go. And uh, coincidentally, there was a recent update to Google Hotel Finder in which now there's color coding similar to how the OTAs and the MetaSearch platforms are indicating value propositions in what it's presenting or what they're presenting. So even though everyone is thinking that Google isn't wanting to be the next OTA, and I still do not believe that they want to be an OTA, uh, they do control the sandbox that everybody plays in, OTAs included. And I say this because from the mobile perspective, if you look at any query on a mobile phone for accommodations for hotels, you are first inundated with all the options of what Google wants to give you as information. And remember, in a conversation we've had before in this podcast on another subsequent shows, they want to be your ultimate assistant. Ask a single question, get a single answer. So they don't want to trust it to giving you choices like here's our best results, like the normal search pages in times past have been. They want to answer your questions. So they're taking first crack at that with their content. And then they're in their monetization mode with their hotel finder functions in which you have to pay through meta search platforms and so forth to make sure you show up. And so to do the OTAs and everybody else and brand included. And then there's the OTA spectrum uh, that they pay heavily for, that we pay heavily to the OTAs for because it's not, it's rarefied air and it's very expensive uh, to be in those spaces. And then there's the meta search platforms. Again, you also have to pay there, but the added advantage is, is that you can now direct them to your direct converting channel if you are using meta search tools. We've talked about those before. And then, then you get to the paid placements of you yourself, where you hopefully you uh, are, are paying enough money that you show up for yourself. And then if you're even still scrolling past that point, because we're now four or five pages down on the mobile platform to even get to it, will be the first first organic key result, which hopefully doing your SEO correctly uh, would be you. And it may not be you because we know that that's always been interchangeable over the years that it's based on relevance of the query and what is known about the person that's actually asking the question. And because of that, there's no guarantee to that organic placement even. But that's how the progression of the exposure goes. So having this travel playbook that Google is having is kind of lending itself to where they think they're wanting themselves to be in that travel space of micro moment decision making, content that's relevant to the query, content that's relevant to the person that's making the query and i highly recommend take a look at the trial the uh, the show notes see the slide deck and go through it's 41 slides uh quick visual all good but really interesting uh, to give you some insights as to google's direction with this travel playbook program uh one thing we didn't get to talk about on the uh, blabcast uh, live show but that i do want to mention here is a a little platform that's kind of fun uh useful for hashtags called right tag r-i-t-e-t-a-g.com again will be in the show notes r-i-t-e-t-a-g.com and what this does is it helps you find hashtags 
and associated hashtags. See, there's lots of platforms out there that will help you find hashtags, Hashboard and what have you, and we've had them in previous shows. But this one helps you show other hashtags that might be similar to or connected to the hashtag that you're doing the query on or looking for types of. So it's useful in that plan. There is a free version of it, which will get you hooked on it. And then there's the paid for getting better information one that you can uh, definitely do and they have scale up for that. I'm not out to sell it, just to make sure you're aware of it. So those were the tools that we discussed and, and almost got to on some of them. Um, on the Blabcast, like the right tag. Now the news portion, Pokemon Go. Boom, all of a sudden, from nothing to something. Uh, let me show you, uh, show you. <laughs> I'm still on the live show. L let me talk about uh, a few of the stats. It's um, uh, It started, let's see, uh, let me give it, it was first launched on July 6th. Uh, there are 21 million daily active users, uh, at least 10 million current Android uh, downloads, and this is as of four days ago. The percentage of Android devices in the U.S. that have Pokemon installed on them are over 10%. That's a large, large number. Um, the percentage of Android users that are using it daily are almost 6%. Of Android users, uh, that goes back to the 10 million uh, downloads and the 21 million active download users. The amount of time being spent on this app per day, 43 minutes, 43 minutes, amazing from zero to something. That that is, the, and it's also the number one grossing download right now for both the Google Play platform and also for the iTunes as of this broadcast. Um, it says as of the 11th of this month, so figure five days after it was launched, it had generated over $14 million and it increased the value of Nintendo. This is, this is the scary part. The value of Nintendo. We know Nintendo hasn't been one of the forefronted technologies in our space these days. It, it relies on its historical nostalgic value than anything else is $9 billion, with a B dollars that it is projected to have made the value uh, proposition of the company. That's amazing. Um, it took from a, a company that was worth perhaps hundreds of millions, if then what, to now a $9 billion company because of what it has produced. Not because of the actual value of the app. That, that in itself is going to generate its revenue that it is, obviously $14 million a day. Um, or excuse me, $6 million a day, $14 million uh, at the onset. Um, but it's the value of showing that it can bring to market a product like this because you know that this is now going to be the the starting nexus of other things um as ed said on the live broadcast that you have uh, so many other aspects of the nintendo ecosystem that can be brought to market between mario brothers and and what have you uh that this was probably the safer bet now it only costs uh 30 million <laughs> if you can imagine only cost 30 million to produce now given the fact that they're producing the millions per day that they are that was a great investment of 30 million dollars but can you imagine trying to get that past that on the developer uh somebody to write a check for 30 million dollars for a program that's never been seen before but it really brings to to market the concept of augmented reality ar and now people knowing the difference between that between that and vr which is virtual reality which is oculus rift and so forth that creates a completely artificial world that you're looking in in 360. And augmented reality puts a little animated creature in the camera view of your phone so you see the real world behind this animation. You can imagine the growth potential of its usability. These are the same people, from what I understand, that uh, worked on things like Google's Field Trip. And if you haven't uh, ever heard of Field Trip or are familiar with Field Trip, uh, neat platform. It was one of those, you never missed the, uh, the biggest ball of twine, so to speak, as you drove by it, because it would let you know what was in proximity of where you were from a historical point of view or any category that you chose that you were interested in. It would 
push notification for you. It was an app that you downloaded on the phones that said, hey, you're next to this historical marker or you're next to this. And it would not only give you directions, but it would also give you content. It was kind of like a uh, proximity-based Wikipedia. Um, and uh, they did very well with it. I thought it was, but they just never came to market in such a way that people had mass adoption. I thought it was an excellent concept. As a matter of fact, uh, some of my clients have used proximity um, tools like that. We're going to a museum where the, uh, the, uh, the docent or the curator of the museum in AR stands beside an art piece as you hold your phone up, and with your earbuds, it's like the audio tour. It describes what the art piece's intent was for, and I thought that was a very cool use of that kind of AR uh, space. And then uh, there were some that uh, would allow tours of the city that would bring you to certain markers, and once you were there, would launch a presentation in AR about what you were looking at, whether it be the view or the location or whatever. Uh, which I thought were great interpretations of AR. So Pokemon, if anything, has done ourselves uh, our market a favor by making it mainstream of using AR as an interface. Now, what does that mean for you as hoteliers? Well, I have several links in the show notes that uh, I have taken from HSMAI's uh, news insights that just got launched. So if you get the HSMAI news insights, the links in their Pokemon article are the same ones that I'm sharing. Plus I have a few extra ones, uh, but they gave some excellent ones. Uh, uh, the headers for them are Pokemon Go, nine questions about the game you were too embarrassed to ask, which I thought was a neat header, but it's a good article. Uh, Everything you want to know about Pokemon Go, but we're afraid to ask. Another article similar in context and how small businesses are profiting from Pokemon Go. Um, there's also a link that was shared with uh, Amy when she joined the live broadcast that was from uh, Hotel News Now, which was, okay, how are we going to monetize this? Now, to let me, if I, and Amy, if you're listening to this podcast after, uh, uh, after the show, um, uh, please send me a note if I missed some pieces to all the great points that you made out of all this. Uh, but basically... Uh, if you are in, a, if you have a business where there is something called a Pokemon Gym or Poke Stops, or and if you, if I'm talking a foreign language, I may even feel like I'm talking a foreign language. Uh, if you haven't played the game, you don't know what I'm talking about. I have played the game. I know what these are, but that doesn't mean that I'm an avid player to know how well I need to know these things. I'm on the learning curve on that, um, in the sense of a player or a trainer, I should say. Um, but anyway, these uh, Poke Gyms are fun because this is where most of the creatures that are wanting to be adopted or not adopted, but captured and taken by trainers uh, tend to uh, be hubbed around. So if you have one of these uh, locations like Amy did for one of her hotels, you have all these people all of a sudden showing up in your lobby or in your, 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 your fitness room uh, looking to go over and, and, and play the Pokemon Go game. And rather than fight it she went over and made this nice list of things that their hotel should do one is embrace it and uh it's supported like okay you know what you're probably going to run out of battery juice here's a battery station you you pokemon go trainers uh and here's some pokemon go specials in our restaurant and so forth um and i'll end threw up a flag of caution on that statement by saying don't treat them uh, the same as you treat every one of your other guests and just offering them generic value propositions because you're really diluting the opportunity that the uniqueness of this segment of market can represent. Um, be tailored to your message, be tailored to your offers specific to them so that they feel you're not just offering their your lunch special, so to speak, just because they happen to be standing by your restaurant. You're offering them the Pokemon special and it's different than your lunch special so that you can really try to create a connection. Um, we had a good conversation towards the end of uh, the Blabcast with a person that joined us, uh, Sandra, who pointed out that she in her hotel 
had the perfect mix. She had most of her staff 30 and below who were avid players of the game already. Her hotel was located where there was one of these gyms. So she had this amazing amount of traffic that was coming to her hotel uh, because of that. And a local restaurant, I don't, she didn't designate it was hers because it was all via text that she was adding to the show, uh, but had a 70% growth in business because the kids were dragging the parents into the restaurant um, uh, because that's where one of the gyms were, so to speak, that you can go over and get more Pokemon creatures to 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 capture. So she embraced it, and 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 uh, Amy brought up a great suggestion in her list of things to do, which was if your staff um, have them, if you have a gym or someplace that's perennial like this, have your staff try to reclaim the gym back where they're playing the game to get the the little creatures back. Now you may think, oh my gosh, I'm paying a person to play a game. Uh, yeah, yeah, you are, but. There are other benefits to that. One is it keeps it fresh and engaging because now the, the, the people that are coming in because of this game to your business to play the game are now getting interactive with people that work in your establishment. So some of your staff that may not be the most outgoing, even if you have the 520 rule, um, now have a common conversation. So people now feel like they're identifying with your business because your 30 less person is telling them go here and there's this such and such creature or they go here and there's such and such to do and so forth. And now that person is like, wow, you know what? I should actually look around and I might want to come back to this place or I might want to eat at this restaurant at this hotel or you know what? I should tell my friends when they come visit me, they should hang out here or something. Whatever it is, you're creating an excuse for exchange, which I think is ultimately one of the best benefits of this game. Um, there is articles already out, Hotel News being one of them, CNN being another one of them, where they're already talking about the fact that uh, obviously uh, Nintendo is going to monetize business relationships because there are things like uh, lures, uh, which are things that you can buy in the game that uh, brings monsters or, or uh, creatures to the lure. And because of that, people will want to be wherever you put the lure, aka in your business, because then they can get more of these creatures because of it. So that's the only thing. Everyone can do that. Now, there's the negative of that, which you've already seen in the news, which is um, where people are putting lures in bad places so that they can rob. Of course, that's going to hit the news. Uh, but there is supposed to be an increased monetization potential for businesses coming in the pipe very quickly that will be, hey, I'm a business. I want to get more people into my business. So what business lure are we going to be offered that I have to pay for? And from the dollar values for the prices, it worked out to a little over a dollar a person walking in your door for paying for one of these lures. Um, which is a pretty good price when you consider if you can get them in your door and convert them to some sort of acquisition, whether it be restaurant or what have you. So in that value proposition, not a bad thing. But the other to consider, and we did discuss this, is to make sure that is this the audience that you want in your space and is it disrupting the audience that you have? Uh, it's one thing to cater to an audience because of, of the opportunity it represents, ride that, that wave. Remember back in the days of Foursquare and mayorships and all. And it's in other words, disruptive to the core business that you have. So it does have to blend correctly. And it's only for you to decide as to whether or not this business actually fits into your model stream. So think that as you look at this and look at the opportunities and thing. And if your business isn't in a location which is driving traffic, then look at the new business opportunities that are coming through Pokemon if it is of still the popularity that it has now. As we all discussed, it could be here and gone next two weeks, as a, a contributor David in our, in our Blabcast mentioned, or it could be something that is in its first iteration and it's just in a wave of perpetual, now these are things are going to be the type of things that roll out in the future until people get tired of it, like reality TV or something. And um, it will just be in another form, in another way, in another edition. So 
Look at it critically as to the demographics it provides. Look at it critically as to whether it can provide business value to you. And then look at the options of creating all of those. So all of the links I mentioned and the ones that I didn't mention will be on the show notes at hospitalitydigitalmarketing.com forward slash podcast. So uh, please take a peek over to that. The other news item that we did uh, also hit was Omni Hotels got hacked. Um which is always bad news, of course. And for those of us that uh, in the hotel business and mind me more historical, um, you cringe at the thought of what that means on the day-to-day for you. The, 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 the distrust that it breeds, the disappointment, that, even with loyal guests of saying, my gosh, you know, I love you, I love your hotel, I love everything, but you just, you just messed me up. I mean, now I got to get new credit cards, what have you, whatever the issue is. Well, if you read the notice that Omni sent out, which again is in the show notes, um, Sean Williams from uh, Spring Engage made a very good point. It only refers to uh, uh, the fact if a card was physically presented at the hotel are uh, being the ones that are be, that were put into jeopardy. So if you booked on online and uh, used a different card for incidentals when you arrived at the hotel, that card that you used online for the booking isn't the one that they're considering was hacked. The ones that got hacked from what it basically sounds like was their infrastructure of credit card processing uh, within their, their brand system. Uh, those are the ones that got hacked. Uh, so keep in mind that, you know, we went on a discussion of Apple Pay and Google Wallet. Um, uh, that's neat because it gives you an extra layer of protection. And I mean that if you're familiar with Apple Wallet or Apple, Apple Pay as an example, it anonymizes your actual credit account number, your credit card number, and instead creates a unique kerneled number with the platform. So it's not able to be connected to your credit card directly. So even if they got the information of the transaction, Uh, that was used in Apple Pay, that number doesn't correlate with a means that they have as hackers to your actual credit card. And that's where the value proposition of those types of method of payment come in. We went and had a nice discussion briefly of of that value proposition because uh, I referred to the fact that I lost my American Express card uh, or not lost it, but actually it got hacked. And I, um, uh, American Express was one of my Apple Pay cards that I had. And it updated my Apple Pay American Express card automatically to my new card. So much so that after I got off the phone, I actually had access to my new American Express card via my Apple Pay, yet still waiting for the physical card to arrive in the mail the next day. So um, useful that the world, you know, it makes you smile a little bit when things like that actually work the way they're intended. Uh, but definitely food for thought that in the process of um, our archaic use of still having to make people book manually at the front desk, even though we're in a world of automation like Pokemon Go, um, that we still require almost the handing of a physical metal key back in the day with a plastic tag to it. Uh, maybe eventually we'll get to the point that uh, we all aspire to that you can walk into the hotel and your phone or whatever methodology, uh, watch or wearable, uh, is your key to opening up your specific room and you know exactly what room to go to because all that information was conveyed, shared, and securely given to you so that you don't longer have to go through the front desk should you choose not to. So anyway, that's what we talked about with the Omni and getting hacked, uh, if you weren't already aware of that. But just uh, if, if you need to talk again with your staff um, about uh, credit card handling, uh, uh, obviously, if you're in a brand relationship, raise the question, hey, can we advance our technology so that maybe we don't turn into the next news item of information that was hacked? Uh, it's always it's always good to, that as a brand person, you have the ability to to express your voice up. Uh, I guess sometimes maybe you don't think that your voice gets heard, but you should always be of that chorus. 
Um, when it came to tactics and techniques uh, for case studies, we turned it over to Sean Williams at the very end with Spring Engage, where he was talking about the real undervalued use of emails. Uh, we're so quick to go to the next toy. We're so quick to go to the next platform. We're so quick to go figure out new things to do. But we're not really reminiscent of the fact that there's still a lot of value in email dialogue. And if you can get content such as an email from a person that engaged with you, whether they purchased or not, that that is a valuable seated beginning of a relationship because it opens the door not to be abused of communicating with them, whether they purchased for you, which is why you have their email or whether they were interested in you, but you have yet to purchase, which allows you to continue the conversation. Both he and Edward St. Ange for both Flip2 and for Spring Engage, excellent platforms on what's creating warm leads, as Ed says, and incubating relationships. Uh, my context that I had put this in, and it will be a part of next week's discussion, is the steps associated with creating things like Facebook campaigns. Um, I get a lot of my clients that ask about creating Facebook campaigns. They, we got to make a Facebook campaign. And I really ask them the first most relevant question, what's your goal with this? And it's like, oh, what do you mean? We want to make revenue. I, other than statements of the obvious, what's your end goal to this? Are you looking to create relationships that have residual lifetime value? Or are you looking for shock and awe sales? Are you looking for the flash sale? We just got to shove everything into that weekend we have a hole in? Or is it the, I want to develop sales that develop long-term sales that develop relationships that expand to their friends so that i have more sales because i create great customer experience gosh i'm sounding like ed and sean anyway so with that we talked about the the follow-up to facebook i told them there was a four-step process and and the last that often gets dropped is follow-up people are just into it for the sales campaign that they're launching and they don't realize there's several stages of value based on the integration of people's engagement some people may have seen your ad but didn't respond some people may have responded to your ad but didn't book other people booked with your ad and that's all great how do you treat each of them differently? We only count those that book, but there's so much up to that booking process of value for those who didn't necessarily book with you, but were made aware of your offers or aware of your existence and were interested enough, but not enough to purchase. There's value to creating and continuing relationships with them. And we had a very good discussion about that. So anyway, that was pretty much the uh, context of the show. We're coming up on 30 minutes, um, which is the max that I'd like to keep these podcasts going. As a reminder, uh, you can always find all of these uh, podcasts on Google Play, Apple iTunes, Talk Show, Talk Shoe Radio, which is a great web uh, platform, actually. Talk Shoe, S-H-O-E, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We're everywhere. Uh, no matter where you like to see the show, please rate us if you like us and leave a comment that allows it to show up more for other people that may not have uh, awareness of this or to discover it. The more people that like us and comment on us, the more we get to show up for people and say, hey, you know what? That might be something I'm interested in listening to as well. Also, if uh, this is your first time hearing us, you can subscribe to us. Uh, on any of those platforms if you choose, as well as also if you would like to keep in touch with us via email where we'll make the announcements as we put these uh, out, you can always go to hospitalitydigitalmarketing.com forward slash podcast, not only to subscribe to the podcast um, uh, on an email, but also to get all of the show notes I keep talking about and referring to out of the context of our discussions. Uh, also, please don't forget our live video talk show, the only live video talk show specifically to hospitality called This Week in Hospitality Digital Marketing, which uh, airs every Friday at 10.30 a.m. Central U.S. time. 
on blab.im for now. We might change that platform, but that's not to be worried about right now. Blab.im. You can either go to hospitalitydigitalmarketing.com forward slash blabcast, B-L-A-B-C-A-S-T-S, or you can go to blab.im forward slash capital, excuse me, Oh, yeah, blab.im forward slash Lauren Gray, L-O-R-E-N-G-R-A-Y, no space, all lowercase. Or come back to the podcast and we will let you know. Oh, that's my timer, which I actually set so we wouldn't go past 30 seconds. So we know it's true. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to us. And for those who watched us also on the Blab uh, live show, This Week in Hospitality, thank you for your time spent on that as well. You can also see a Facebook Live at uh, facebook.com forward slash hospitality digital marketing, a replay of our Blabcast there as well. So until next week, next Friday to be exact, this is Lauren Gray thanking you for your time and appreciating your interest in hospitality digital marketing. You have been listening to the Hospitality Digital Marketing Podcast with Lauren Gray. Presented by the Digital Marketing Council of HSMAI, the Hospitality Sales and Marketing Association International. All views expressed are those of the host and his guests and do not reflect upon HSMAI or the sponsors of the podcast. Podcast and its content is protected by international copyrights. Any use not authorized by hospitalitydigitalmarketing.com is in violation. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.